This is Oscar Dahl. I'm here with Matthew Knutson, and this is We Like Movies, Mission Impossible, colon, Fallout, colon, Chronological Edition, Mission Impossible Podcast, colon. <laughs> you are talking to a, a pretty happy fanboy right now, Mr. Dahl. <laughs> This is, a, oh, yeah? this is a real Matt Knutson weekend right here. <laughs> Good. In the category of franchises that I can geek out over, this one is is right at the top. I feel like Indiana Jones went south a while ago. James Bond is very inconsistent. I've never been the world's biggest Marvel or Star Wars fan, but here is a series that somehow has been getting better with each subsequent film for the last decade, right? Um. Well, we can get get into that when we talk about the newest <laughs> Mission Impossible Fallout but yes it has trended you know upwards somehow uh not necessarily from the beginning you know it's it's not a straight line but but it it, it, it does on the graph it does go up yes i'll agree with that somehow i i feel like the controversy around Mr. Cruz has kind of softened commensurate with how much people have come to respect these films, right? Like it, we've really gotten to a point where even people who don't like Tom Cruise or don't like what he stands for, or don't like his personal life or whatever, you know, who are offended by him as a brand still have kind of like begrudgingly come around to be like, yeah, but you got to respect what he fucking does, right? <laughs> like you got to respect how much he commits to these films. Yeah. I've had a number of conversations about Tom Cruise seemingly over the last week, week and a half. At some point, I think this is what generally people have done. You throw your hands in the air like, well, you know, this one thing we all hate about him, you know, it's the Scientology thing. We hate that he's involved with it. We hate that he's friends with David Miscavige or whatever. By all accounts, this guy is a joy to work with. Yeah. No one has a bad thing to say about him on set. True. Uh, obviously, he works his ass off. And obviously, I mean, it's we're, we're going to look back at his career and just stand in awe of what he's been able to do and to sustain as an actor and as an, as an action star. So it, it's he's adventurous in, in taking his roles, but he also he's got sort of no shame in going back to the well and sort of chipping away and getting just incrementally better at his, at his craft, right? So... It's hard to be mad at Tom Cruise, the actor, while you can, you can also sort of have disdain or just not give a shit about Tom Cruise, the person. Plus, I love the fact that he is clearly like such a student of the art form insofar as like he has sought out great directors throughout his entire career, right? Like famously in 1999, he not only made Eyes Wide Shut with Stanley Kubrick, which was something of like a professional goal for him. But he also, like, according to legend, he literally, like, called up Paul Thomas Anderson and said, hey, man, I don't care what the role is. I don't care what the film is. All I know is I want to work with you. So you tell me, you know, where to show up and I'll be there. And so Paul Thomas Anderson wrote him that part in uh, Magnolia, which... I'm of the opinion is maybe his his greatest performance, <laughs> and he probably should have won his Oscar for that. Yeah, but I just you know, and then seeking out Spielberg and doing a couple movies with him, and then like throughout this entire series, really picking the director because obviously he's the producer of these films. This is his franchise. He's really picked some like left field uh, directors for each subsequent film, and we've we've sort of like led up to Christopher McQuarrie kind of getting anointed as the as the other guy who will basically define this franchise, right? Because he he was a uncredited screenwriter on Ghost Protocol. He obviously mm-hmm. wrote and directed Rogue Nation and now he's written and directed 
maybe the greatest installment in this franchise. And up until this point, we had never had a director direct more than one of these films. So this is a this is a big deal. Like this is a ecumenical leap. Yeah, and you know you have to give it up for Christopher McQuarrie for for his. I mean, his career is pretty interesting in and of itself. Um, but just moving into this action film, you know, it's not something you would have predicted for the the screenwriter of Usual Suspect twenty years ago, right? Yeah. You know, I, I was reading an interview with Macquarie uh, this week. Uh, you probably read the same one, maybe. Was, I think it was AV Club, where he talked about how he got the job. He was just on the set of Edge of Tomorrow. And Tom Cruise is like, hey, I think you should direct the next uh, Mission Impossible. <laughs> and McQuarrie's like, uh, It's just that okay. easy. <laughs> okay. And, and, and then McQuarrie's like, okay. Tom Cruise went on the phone and came back 15 minutes later. He's like, hey, you're the director. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, he got the job before he even accepted it. You know? Yeah. I mean, he's had such an interesting career. I mean, he won, he won his Oscar when he was, like, 25 or something. I think he's a little older than that. But, yeah, something like yeah, that. Yeah, it was definitely in his 20s, at least. And, um you know, very, very deserved. Maybe one of the greatest uh, scripts ever written. I was I was listening to an interview with him on the Ringer uh, podcast recently, and he was talking about the fact that, like, the only reason he is in this business at all is because he went to high school with Brian Singer, and Brian Singer was like, hey, we should make movies. Go write a movie. <laughs> like, Brian Singer didn't feel confident enough with himself as a writer, so he just asked his buddy Chris McQuarrie to go write something. So he wrote Public Access, and they got that made. And then mm-hmm. he's like, hey, go write something else. Let's make something a little bit bigger this time. And so he wrote The Usual Suspects, and the rest is history. Like, he he really kind of fell ass backwards into this thing. He's had such an interesting trajectory over the last 20 years. I mean, he kind of, like, fell off the grid there for a while after winning his Oscar. I, I feel like he was probably a little bit kind of confused about how he got there. I think he did Way of the Gun a few years after. Yeah, he, dir- he directed Way of the Gun. Have you seen Way of the Gun? Yeah. Yeah, it's fine. It's it's, it's fine. weird. It's a movie. It's a movie directed by a guy who's clearly not a director. He's a writer. You know, like that is a writerly movie. I actually met Christopher McQuarrie when we were in high school. Yeah, he's a Seattle guy. He lives in Seattle. I had no idea. Really, I, I did not realize that. Okay, that makes total sense because I was going to. I was taking classes at Seattle University, and he brought Way of the Gun there to screen for the students. And I um, I accosted him after the screening and told him what a big fan I was and shoved my Usual Suspects script into his chest and said, <laughs> "Hey man, yeah, I'm not I'm not a big I'm not an autograph chaser. You know, it's never really been my thing. But I was so enamored with the Usual Suspects, you know, when I was 16 years old. Yeah. So uh, I had to get his autograph. So somewhere in a storage unit in Los Angeles, in a box somewhere, is my signed." Usual suspect script from Christopher McQuarrie. Yeah, I'm not sure if it's his permanent residence anymore, but I know for you know the 90s and 2000s he was living in Madison Park. So. Wow, I had no idea. I think he's so interesting. I love hearing him interviewed because he is so self-effacing. He's so like realistic about his trajectory, and uh, he doesn't. I mean, he's very candid about the fact that he doesn't consider himself a quote-unquote artist. He's just like it's such a silly word. I'm not an. I'm, I'm just an entertainer. I make movies. I'm a writer who happens to direct movies. I'm not a movie director, and I'm certainly not an artist. I just want to make movies that entertain people. I find him to be very, very refreshing, Christopher McQuarrie. Well, that's probably the mindset you have to have for these kind of movies, right? Like, they're so, at some level, it's just so nuts and bolts. There's not a ton of room to try to insert your artistry in there. Like, the artistry is the the technical aspects of it. Yeah, I mean, what is the most, quote-unquote, artsy... Mission Impossible movie, it's probably John Woo's, 
installment. Oh, it's a 100% John Woo's <laughs> installment. Yes. I mean, the the first one is pretty De Palma-ish. Like, it is pretty, like, canted angles and um, and split diopters and stuff. Like, the first one is pretty stylized, for sure. But Woo takes it to a, another level, um, not necessarily for the best. And then J.J. basically resets everything. I mean, that movie mm-hmm. is visually, like, cinematography-wise, pretty loud. But mm-hmm. it, I wouldn't say it's a especially stylized film and that was jj's first movie so he obviously was still figuring out what he was doing and then brad bird i feel like is very workmanlike like there's not a lot of brad bird fingerprints on ghost protocol right like it's just a very workmanlike film yeah jj abrams definitely set the course for the for the remainder of the of these films for the for the the next four right? yes yes it's sort of uh epitomized by just very clear action like pure geography and and it's interesting that it happened uh, you know I'm not sure if I'm going to get the timelines right here but the 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 trends of action filmmaking were not uh were not what Mission Impossible 3 ended up being right I mean we were still sort of in the in, in the born movie yeah type quick cutting uh, uh thing and and just to have practical effects practical action you know uh, very clear, like working on these big set pieces as opposed to sort of these quick cut little fight scenes. That's what the series has been, you know, since. And like Brad Bird's movie is is so clean and and so. Uh, it's a good word again, for it. He, yeah, yeah. You you can tell that it's a it, it, you know he comes from animation at, at times because it's just like every the the choreography of of every little uh, set piece is is just terrific and, and and it's so clear like it's just striking watching these movies like the just the geography is so well understood by the audience and that's that's not an easy thing to do for these huge massive uh action scenes yeah i've been thinking a lot about uh the fast and the furious franchise over the last couple of days because i think that they have those that franchise has sort of like a similar trajectory to mission impossible now it took fast and the furious basically five movies to finally figure out what the hell it was doing like basically we all we can all agree fast five is the best one and as much as i like six i kind of feel like they peaked and then they've sort of been falling off since then whereas i think it took this franchise basically like three films to find itself and then it has since been really pushing itself into these incredible places for the last three movies i i think you're exactly right i think somebody like Justin Lin or somebody like Brad Bird or clearly Christopher McQuarrie, these are guys who aren't necessarily interested in um, wowing you with style or distracting you with style, right? Like it is just, mm-hmm. a cl- there's a cleanliness and there is a um, geographical coherence to these action yep. scenes. And I don't know where that came from. Maybe Christopher McQuarrie is just preternaturally a, a clean filmmaker. But you watch something like the um, the motorcycle chase in Rogue Nation, and you're just like, Jesus Christ, how did this guy like? How did this guy learn to do this? Like, mm-hmm. how is he so fucking good at this? Nothing in Jack Reacher would really <laughs> would necessarily lead you to believe that this guy is going to be able to uh, fucking hit an action sequence out of the park like something like that. Yeah, I mean, you might be able to speak to this a little more, but. I I wonder how much and, and you know I, th- I feel like Marvel has started this trend where they have the directors and the director is in charge of is going to take the tone and and just be the overseer of it but but maybe there's an infrastructure of action filmmaking technical experts that are there on set to sort of help out just just executing anything that the director wants to do I just wonder if, if that's the case I mean it, it feels crazy to me that Chris McQuarrie could be able to 
oversee something like this and would have the know-how to to create such amazing action films like this you know i feel similarly to like the russo brothers like there's nothing in their past that makes you believe that they'd be able to pull off an avengers or a captain america movie but Hmm. it somehow works so I, i mean i don't know if there's something else going on behind the scenes where there's a lot of Helped by people who are experienced in, in in that type of filmmaking. I mean, do you have any insight into that? I don't really. I mean, obviously, these there's always a team. There's a team of of you know, obviously, like stunt technicians and stuff. So yes, I'm sure he's getting a lot of assistance from people who are more experienced with this than he is. But you still do need to take into account the fact that all this is on the page, right? I mean, yeah, Christopher yeah. McQuarrie is the only writer director of these films. Every other film in this series was written by somebody else. Uh, well, J.J. technically wrote the third one with his boys, Orsi and Kurtzman. Yeah. Um, but this is the only, like, writer-director of this of this series. So, like, he obviously built this thing from the ground up. So, mm-hmm. yeah, he's getting a lot of assistance, obviously. But I, I still feel, I mean, there is a real, like, coherence mm-hmm. to these last, to Rogue Nation and Fallout. And up until this weekend, when I rewatched the first five, I was pretty confident about the fact that I thought that Ghost Protocol was the best one. Like, up until a couple days ago, I thought it went Ghost Protocol, Rogue Nation, 3, 1, 2. Yeah. And now, I kind of feel like Macquarie's movies are the best ones. I really feel like this is his series now. I think that Fallout and Rogue Nation, in that order, are are the two best films in this series. I don't want to get ahead of myself. We'll obviously rank them later, but let's... Let's go through it. Let's go through the entire series because we both watched all six of them in the last 72 hours, right? Yeah, we'll get to some deeper thoughts on, on Rogue Nation and Fallout once we get there. <laughs> but yeah, let's start with Mission Impossible 1. So uh, I rewatched all, all five before seeing Fallout uh, last week as well. I hadn't seen one or two in quite a long time, in at least a decade. Oh, wow. So I was really excited to <laughs> dig my teeth into these movies. I wasn't expecting a whole lot and holy shit, I was I was delighted by <laughs> by, by by what what I saw. Mission Impossible 1, man, holds up. Yeah. God damn, it holds up. It's a lot of fun. It is. I mean, let's set the stage a little bit here. 1996. So this is the first film Tom Cruise had produced and he handpicks Brian De Palma, who is coming off of, I guess, like Carlito's Way at this point. And uh, and Robert Town, the screenwriter of uh, Chinatown, <laughs> amongst other things. And uh, your boy, David Kep, yeah, to craft this very, very twisty, Byzantine, stylized adaptation of a, of a television show. And goddamn, it was the, is the third highest grossing film of 1996. It was a huge hit, even though people still look back on it as being like this very twisty, very complicated, convoluted spy thriller. Um, it was an enormous, enormous hit. What a crazy decision and direction to take this as the beginning of the franchise, right? TV to movie adaptation, especially this sort of thing, like taking an old TV show and, and you know, modernizing it or whatever. That trope, you typically end up with a very watered-down version of the material. and Like the they, Mod Squad or something. Yeah, or Charlie's Angels or whatever. Yeah. God, yeah, they they went for it. I mean, it's 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 as weird like a big budget tentpole movie as you're going to as you're going to see, and you know, kudos to them for for having the balls to to go that direction. It's so distinct from the other five films. I feel like yeah. it is really kind of its own thing. And I don't know if it's one of the best films in the series, but you watch it and you're just like, wow, this this was clearly made by a bunch of people who had like very strong ideas right mm-hmm. i mean mm-hmm. it's the, the reason that i brought up the whole box office thing is because i'm so surprised that that movie resonated with people because you watch it now you're just like this is a weird ass film 
Mm-hmm. Like this is, and, and it's not really. I mean, I think one of the biggest problems with it is that it's not really a film about a team doing a heist. Like there is a heist right smack dab in the middle of the film when they go to Langley, and that is the best scene in the film. You watch subsequent movies, and you're just like, oh, this this series figured out that it needed to be about teams stealing things, right? And you figured yeah. out that it was it needed to become a series about heists. And the first two movies, for better or for worse are pretty much the cruise show. They are they are star vehicles for this one central character. And mm-hmm. I and that's my biggest problem with the first one and then especially the second one is that it's it's way too focused on Ethan Hunt. Like in the first 30 minutes of the first Mission Impossible, they kill off everybody else on the team except for him and Emmanuel Bert. Yeah, and that first scene or the, the first extended sequence in Prague is pretty damn good and it definitely gets fucking weird and trippy at the end of that made-up little cafe (laughs) the aquarium the aquarium that they end up blowing up yeah yeah it's 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 a mind fucking i i do wonder if you know back in the day the internet's still early and you know the buzz isn't as immediate so i wonder if there are a lot of people leaving that movie being like what the fuck did i just see (laughs) yeah or not being totally stoked about Thinking they're going to a mindless action movie and having to having to think and be confused for for two hours. The aquarium thing is so significant too because um, apparently they shot that they they shot that thing where he uh, he like runs out of the restaurant while the water's flowing down behind him with a stunt guy and mm-hmm. De Palma's like that that doesn't work that doesn't play we can't do it with a stunt guy like that's not going to cut at all so he basically talked Tom Cruise into doing that stunt himself mm-hmm. and that decision and the fact that he runs towards the camera in slow motion while the water cascades behind him like set the stage for the rest of the series which has been defined by him doing his own stunts right like yeah. You can trace it back to that sequence mm-hmm. where he's just like running. And it is one of the more spectacular shots in the movie where there's just like water cascading down behind him. And, and the idea of Tom Cruise running, it's it's become kind of a cliche. <laughs> <laughs> and honestly, like even in Fallout, they kind of reference it like they there's like a meta commentary on the idea of tom cruise jog you know running as fast as he can towards a goal yeah and that was that was that was it that was the beginning the opening's great the middle set piece at langley is absolutely fantastic yeah um where mission impossible one falls a little bit is uh the third act is a little silly not my favorite but still has its has its uh has its highs the helicopter stuff is 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 kind of cool it's a little silly but i but it's fun you know like it kind of it kind of holds up but again like just sort of reinforces the thing that's like it's all about cruise it's the total you know it's the cruise show on the top of this train to me that's just not as much fun as as a team getting to uh, accomplish a mission together mission possible does well but then i feel like they they waited what four or five years for the second one the amount of time between movies in the series is really interesting 96 is the first one and then 2000 is the second one 2006 is the third one they wait six years for that and then 2011 is ghost protocol i think and then uh, rogue nation is 2015 now we're in 2018 so basically this is the shortest between rogue nation and fallout is the shortest period between mission impossible movies which makes right. sense because yeah you have the same writer direct and tom cruise isn't getting any younger so <laughs> I, I guarantee that has something to do with it as well so yes, uh, ninety six to two thousand, and uh, Tom Cruise handpicks John Woo because John Woo is flying real high at this point off of uh, Face Off, right? I mean, it's it's weird that you could watch Face Off, which you know who doesn't love Face Off, but the opposite in terms of like intellect. <laughs> 
as to what Mission Impossible is supposed to be. I mean, it's just yeah. a big, dumb movie. I find it a little odd that Tom Cruise saw that and was like, you know what? That's my guy. I want that. Yeah. Uh, but but maybe maybe I mean I don't I don't have any insight into to what the thinking was. But perhaps they were like, hey, let's let's try something different. Let's go in a different stylized way. And 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 maybe they weren't interested at that point in having sort of a a, a through line throughout the franchise stylistically. Yeah, I, I I feel that this series up until Fallout was really kind of analogous with um, the Alien franchise, right? Sure. I mean, look at James Cameron's <laughs> Alien <laughs> Aliens compared to Ridley Scott's Alien, right? I mean, it is truly a departure, you know, maybe for the better. So yeah. I guess I can understand that they were just like, Brian De Palma hit it out of the park. Movie was a big hit. But this franchise is going to be about giving it to these different auteurs and seeing what they can do with it. it you know, it's hard for me to talk about it now because I was a kid. But at the time, I was so fucking excited about John Woo taking this over, right? Because I was a yeah. huge face-off guy at that point. Yeah. You know, when I saw face-off in the theater, it blew my fucking mind. Or Broken Arrow <laughs> even, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, he he makes movies for 14-year-old boys. Yes, he does. So I was super excited. I got to say, even though I was young and even though I was the target audience, I remember walking out of Mission Impossible 2 and being like, that was bad, right? Like there was <laughs> there was moments that I loved, but that was a bad movie. And mm-hmm. it's weird to say that because I am the I am literally the target audience for that movie. I should have loved that. But it's bad. I watched it again a couple days ago and it, it is a legitimately bad movie. Uh yeah, it's bad, but I had a lot of fun with it. Yeah. Fun <laughs> I mean, fun for sure. What, what? Definitely Once you bad. give yourself into it, it's just <laughs> just just basking in the audacity of of John Woo's style and direction and just the music and all the slow mo and all the <laughs> all the doves. Like, it, the doves. <laughs> there aren't that many doves. To be fair, I was expecting more doves. There's a lot of doves, but they don't show. I mean, he 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 saves them for the end. But when once we get to the end, he just lets the doves loose. But but going to what you're saying about what you don't like about you know the first two the the Ethan Hunt show this is all this movie is we don't get really much of uh, of the teamwork it's a, it's an outlier in terms of just narrative structure i feel like throughout these movies you get ving rames again but then the other dude the australian dude is just like completely forgettable yeah like he he just shows up he has an australian accent he flies the helicopter and that's about it like mm-hmm. he, he he brings almost nothing to the table this movie is all about Cruise and his amazing hair in slow motion. And just a young Tandy Newton. At, at the risk of getting too, you know, heterosexual about this, like Tandy Newton in, you know, 1999, 2000, like she was legitimately the most beautiful woman. <laughs> yeah. Like, on the planet. Do you know she won a fucking Razzie for that movie? Did she? Win? I, I knew she was nominated. I didn't realize she won. Um, I was thinking about this, like I, watching the movie again the other day. She's not that bad. She is so breathtakingly beautiful the character is underwritten but i don't think she's bad like the no, movie she's, the she's movie's fine. bad she but it's not a lot really to work with. Yeah, yeah exactly the guys on the slash film podcast were mentioning this recently when they were doing their retrospective about the series like this movie is contingent on the idea that everybody who meets tandy newton falls in love with her immediately yeah that's which is legitimate. not <laughs> it's, it's not outside the realm of possibility i don't i don't think she's bad at all i think she's totally fine it's kind of a dumb character it's kind of a silly character that scene with anthony hopkins just being brutally misogynistic in the movie is is, is to, like, go to, to go to bed with a man and lie to him she's a woman she has all the training she needs god it came out of nowhere <laughs> anthony hopkins apparently got paid like two million dollars for appearing in this film and he's in two scenes and he was probably on set for three days it's, it's just interesting to go back and think about the 90s when anthony hopkins was a <laughs> legitimate movie star um the, the 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 trajectory of the the progression rather of the secretaries throughout this series has been really interesting yeah 
Because, I mean, basically you got Voight as Jim Phelps, who was the star, you know, who was the hero of the TV show, and then he becomes the villain of the movie. And Henry Zerny, who is, I don't think he's the secretary, but he is like the the CIA guy in the first one. Then you get Anthony Hopkins in the second one. And then you get uh, Lawrence Fishburne in the third one. And then you get Tom Wilkinson for a second (laughs) in Mm Ghost Protocol. And then you get Baldwin. And Mm -hmm. now Baldwin has been our secretary for the last two movies. And and what I love about the Baldwin thing is that you get to see him become the secretary. to see him move from the CIA to the uh, IMF, which yeah. I think is a fun thing. So, But yes, Anthony Hopkins, he's all over the trailer. His voice is amazing. His scenes are amazing. He really does feel like a little bit of an afterthought, right? Like it just was a late 90s idea. If you're going to have a scene where somebody's got to deliver a lot of exposition, let's just pay Anthony well. Hopkins' <laughs> $2 million and get him in here. Yeah, probably worth it, actually. I did like just the, the scenes in Sevilla. I, I assume they actually shot it shot it there. They, they look great, and it's fun to have that Spanish flavor. Yeah, Hans Zimmer's just, you know, fucking mixing it up as usual. And notable, this is a solo Robert Town screenplay? This is, yes, Robert Town gets sole screenwriting credit, which is bonkers, because this is a bad this is a bad <laughs> script. I can't I have to assume that there was other writers on this movie. The WGA has crazy rules, so they obviously gave him sole screenwriting credit for a number of reasons, but this reeks of a bunch of cooks in this kitchen, right? Let, let, let me just read this sentence from the Wikipedia. According to screenwriter Robert Town, several action sequences were already planned for the film yes. prior to his involvement and before the story had been written. Yes. So, which makes a so lot yeah. of sense. You watch yeah, the movie, so, you're just like, oh, yeah, this is the first thing they thought of, you know, like one hand off the mountain. Yeah, they started with Tom Cruise climbing a mountain and then they like reverse engineered the script from there. It's like we're going to end with him kicking a gun out of the sand. <laughs> Has anyone ever tried that? That'd be a good, like, Mythbusters episode to actually see if you could do that. It seems like an unlikely physical thing that you could actually execute. The last 30 minutes of this, of this movie are, like, a nightmare for physics, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. all of the decisions made in terms of, like, what the motorcycles and guns can do is just <laughs> bonkers. Like, it, it's so weird to watch it again now because you're just like, I should like this. Like, I should like this more than I am liking it. But it's so just, it's so wackadoo. I, I, I just can't get into any of it. Well, especially because we're used to them being so keen on getting everything about the physics and the physicality and the set pieces correct. Yeah, does it does feel weird? Uh, just the, the the motorcycle duel where they just drive at each other, then jump twenty yes. feet in the air and tack. Like, what a weird thing to come up with. What if one like, of them hadn't jumped? Like, yeah, <laughs> like if one of them hadn't jumped, the other person would have just like flown right over the top of them, right? Yeah, I don't know why they either of them thought that'd be a good idea. But. <laughs> there, there is moments that are a lot of fun, like uh, when they're in the uh, when they're in the the lab. You know, stay alive. I'm not going to lose you. Uh, it gets to be very wooish in that mm-hmm. sequence, and it is a lot of fun. And Hans Zimmer is just like firing on all cylinders. And to me, that is when the movie like sort of like finds its groove. But then it's all kind of downhill from there. So many masks and so many doves and so much slow motion. So it's, it is. You know, it is one of those bad movies that I revisit pretty darn often, actually. <laughs> but I'm never proud of it. <laughs> you know, like I, I, if somebody walked in on me watching Mission Impossible Two, I would probably make the same face as if somebody walked in on me masturbating. <laughs> like, I would not be proud of myself at all. Again, I hadn't seen it in a long time, and I was expecting something worse than I ended up getting because I I enjoyed it. I I had given myself up to it, and it's it, it's it's 
audacious and stupid and ridiculous, but it's it's visually pleasing and it's extremely wooish. It's it's very rewatchable. I will say that I, I revisit it more than I would care to admit. Spoiler alert: It's the worst of of, yes. of the franchise for sure. With a, with a bullet. And then we get Mission Impossible Three, which. Choosing J.J. Abram here, I'm not sure if this was a Tom Cruise saw that this guy's star was rising and this was the right thing to do, or if this sort of catapulted J.J. Abram into what he would become. I think clearly the right decision, and you know, J.J. Abrams has a has a knack for rebooting franchises. And <laughs> <laughs> He's done it three times now. Mission Impossible 2 was an even bigger hit than Mission Impossible. It was the highest grossing film of the year 2000, uh, which is crazy to think about now. And yet they decided to wait six years to make another one. It was a huge hit, but nobody thought that was a good movie. So that's it. That's the end of Mission Impossible. We're never going to revisit that again. And so when it was announced that they were going to make another one and that this TV guy who had never directed a movie before mm-hmm. was uh, was announced, I was like, I respected Tom Cruise's decisions of the directors he likes to you know he wants to work with so i was like oh okay well tom cruise like vouches for him then i I guess i I need to pay attention but i remember going into this movie very very skeptical i uh, i was in thailand at the time i saw mission impossible 3 in bangkok thailand (laughs) and i was just it was kind of just like all right we need a reason to get in out of the you know like let's just go someplace where there's air conditioning for a couple of hours like none of us were excited about mission impossible 3 Mm -hmm. and i walked out of it and i was just like not only is this series back on track but that is the best one yeah it's a perfect reboot of this franchise i feel yeah it's it's a great mission statement for what they want this franchise to be you know yes. in, the, in the time off they clearly went back to the drawing board it was okay what what do we want to do do we want to give this a go again reconfigure what these movies can and should be and they clearly came up with something great and i don't know if it was a jj abrams pitch that that that, that got him but I, I saw this movie maybe three or four times in the theater i've seen it a oh, few wow. times like i love this fucking movie so much i do as well i feel like the the history has not been kind to this film for some reason. I, I, I've been reading a lot of articles this last week leading up to Fallout where people are saying that, that they think that it's one of the worst ones. And I couldn't disagree more. I, I really feel like this is, I mean, you use the word mission statement. Uh, that's exactly what it is. This is saying, here is what this series should be. Like it's JJ saying, I think I've cracked the code. And yeah. this is a this, this should be a series about teams doing missions together. This should not be the Tom Cruise show. He's obviously above the title, but it should be about us heisting things together. And that's what this yeah. movie gets really, really, really right. And that's why I feel that this movie, unfortunately, kind of gets into this Mission Impossible crutch, which is that it peaks way too early. Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say. It's, uh, you know, has a few action set pieces. The first one where they're rescuing Carrie Russell, that, that's a lot of fun. It's pretty brief, but yeah. also they up the stakes for sure. Oh, the helicopter shit and they shot, it's set in Berlin, but it's shot in Palm Springs and it is so amazing. Yeah. And it ends with Carrie Russell dying in a really, really disturbing way. Yeah. The the Berlin helicopter thing, uh, the Vatican City thing especially, and then the Shanghai sequence, like those three set pieces are so incredible and so just like interlocking in terms of their uh, logistics that unfortunately the movie just never rebounds after that for me like the vatican city thing is is indicative of exactly what i want from a mission impossible yes like that's a team working in lockstep and like that set piece is is as good as it gets for me 
got everything. It's got it's got the masks. It's got the tech. It's got a sexy woman, an amazing you know gown. It it has it's got cars. It has uh, Tom Cruise playing Phyllis Seymour Hoffman and Phyllis Seymour Hoffman playing Tom Cruise. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's the best. Yeah. And then you know it's got this incredible location, like the kind of place where you would never expect a movie to be able to like. And then mm-hmm. they do it again in Ghost Protocol, where they go into the Kremlin. Just like Jesus Christ, we're gonna <laughs> set a scene in the Kremlin. You get uh, Tom Cruise and Jonathan Rice Myers pretending to be Italians. That's I don't know. That scene cracks me up every time. I don't know. I love John. <laughs> I think I think part of the reason that I adore this film so much is I really really love this team. I love Jonathan oh, yeah. Rhys Meyers. I love Maggie Q. They obviously introduce Simon Pegg briefly. This is the sexiest. This is far and away the sexiest team. I mean, I love the I love when Jonathan <sighs> Rhys Meyers and Maggie Q are just sitting in the car together yeah. and they're and she's teaching him this prayer. Mm-hmm. It's just it's such a <laughs> cute little romantic scene. They never go back to it. They never mm-hmm. you know they never pay off that relationship. And yet I have this sort of like you know fantasy scenario. Uh, you know, I got fan fiction in my head of Maggie Q and Jonathan Rhys Meyers having this incredible romance. I don't know. I mean, my favorite team might be Paula Patton, Simon Pegg, Ving Rhames. It's hard Paul to argue Patton's with Paula Patton. Pretty. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> again, not to be too much of a dude about this, but there's been so many amazing women over the course of this series. Like, not just, you know, in terms of great beauties, but just great actresses. Like, mm-hmm. Paula Patton, you know, Leah Seydoux, Emmanuel Baird, Rebecca Ferguson. There's just been so many just incredible beautiful, talented women over the course of this thing. And yet, I feel like there has been some controversy about the way that the series utilizes them, right? And uh, Michelle Monaghan. Yeah. Um, and because, obviously, when Tom Cruise is in a movie, there's it's always going to be complicated when it comes to Tom Cruise as as a leading mm-hmm. man who has to be involved in a romance with a, with a woman. If it's, you know, besides maybe Jerry Maguire, I feel like he never really sells the idea of himself as a romantic lead. And that's kind of, that's kind of why I like what they've done the last starting with 3 is sort of established this pretty chaste romance with Michelle Monaghan and kept her at arm's length. And so he's not really available, he's not really flirting or anything with anyone on his team, right? Yeah. So I think that that was the right narrative decision as you know as the films went along. Do you like the Michelle Monaghan? Do you like the fact that he basically falls in love in the third one and gets married? Like is does that work for you? It it throws a lot of people, I think. I mean, obviously in Fallout, it's a big part of the narrative as well. But but I think exactly for that reason, it's 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 worthwhile just because there's you know we're not expecting him to have a have a romance romantically. He can just get down to business. Plus, it happens in the very first scene. Like what's so interesting about three is that it starts with that incredible prologue. Phyllis Zimmerhoffen does the countdown and then he shoots Michelle Monham in the head, and then it goes right to their. Um, to their wedding party like it just it, it cuts right into her like opening the refrigerator and getting a beer out for somebody that was a really smart uh screenwriting choice too to have that little little prologue uh oh, you know, it's the best and then rewind because uh this movie starts slower without that than any other movie i mean there's yes. a lot of business to do back in the in, in the states and at that party to establish that character and sort of get tom cruise back up to speed but i think it all works i mean i, I haven't really had any problem with the way they've they've treated all the women in this series, you know, Paula Patton's a badass in, in Ghost Protocol. She beats up a bunch of dudes right at the beginning of the movie, so it makes the girl fight that happens later on a little less, like, eye-rolling, you know? Paula Patton's so amazing. Why is Paula Patton not a bigger movie star? Like, I, I feel know, like maybe... Ghost Protocol was setting her up to be the next big thing. And Ageism? She's in her 40s, I guess. I don't know. Paula Patton's so interesting, too, because she basically had an entire career before she even became an actress. Like, she was, I think she was, like, a documentary producer. Oh, like, she'd been, like, that. producing documentaries for years. And stuff. I think somewhere along the line, somebody was just like, you are unbelievably beautiful. You need to be on camera. <laughs> yeah. But I think she's a strong actress. I loved her in... Um, 
I loved her in this. I loved her in Ghost Protocol. I loved her in Deja Vu, which I think is an underrated Tony Scott movie. And she's wonderful in uh, Precious as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I think, unfortunately, she's kind of, kind of gotten on the uh, Tyler Perry train, which I think is yeah. usually a bad, bad career move. Always. But, uh, <laughs> but I wish she was. I wish she was a bigger movie star. Well, let's, let's just wrap up Mission Impossible Three because I agree that again, this has a problem with the third act being just less impressive than yes. the, than everything that came before it, and sort of the the final Shanghai stuff is is fine. But it's it just feels so much smaller than everything that's that, that's preceded it. Yeah, it brings it brings Michelle Monaghan back, and that becomes kind of the crux. Like it becomes about him. Like she has to uh, bring him back to life, right? I love the callback to the um, time release charge in his head, and it also has. Up until Fallout, this was the greatest Tom Cruise running scene. Oh right? yeah, there's a lot, a lot of running it's in Shanghai. Like there's even an extended. There's like one shot that just where he's running along the river, and it's almost like JJ saying, "Like, look at this. Look how long I can sustain watching Tom Cruise run." Philip Seymour Hoffman, R.I.P. Just so yeah. fucking good. Wonderful. In this. Great bad guy. Omnip- omnipotent bad guy. You have a wife. You have a girlfriend. <laughs> I'm gonna find her. <laughs> I'm gonna hurt her. We were talking about this over the weekend. We were rewatching all of these. Like he is the most. His decision to play this character as basically just bored. Yeah. Like throughout the entire movie, he's just like, Ugh. like he's at work. That's his thing, right? Like he's just mm-hmm. bored with his job. Yeah, he's exactly. the world's greatest arms dealer, and yet he's just completely blasé about it. The the last thing is what we know. Like the, the cliches about J.J. Abrams are so funny when you look at the rabbit's foot in this movie. Yeah. And they and they never pay it off. Nope. They never tell you what it is. There's even a scene where they wink about it, like at the very end. I was arguing with uh, mutual friends and past and future guests Ryan Julio and Dan Kelly, who I watched all these movies with over the weekend. They were completely put off by the rabbit's foot. Like they were, <laughs> they are so offended by the fact that they never tell you what they're. And to me. It's great because it's the ultimate MacGuffin. I don't need to know what the fuck the rabbit's foot is. It doesn't matter. It's just something to chase. It's, it yeah. has a little biohazard sign on it. That's it. That's all I need. And yeah. yet I know it bugs a lot of people. It's it's J.J. Abrams' black box it's to the, the puzzle box. degree. Yeah. The yeah. Um, and also, uh, Billy Crudup's great. I love him in this movie. Ghost Protocol. They chose a guy who had never done a live action movie. That's kind of bold. Second film in a row in this series directed by somebody who had basically never directed a live action movie before. Honestly, not to keep going back to the box office thing, but Mission Impossible 3 not a huge hit. A successful film, but not a not a hit on the level of the last two. So again, we end up in this situation where it's just like, is this franchise done? JJ kind of rebooted this thing, but it wasn't, he didn't, you know, like financially he didn't hit it out of the park. Is this over? And then we also get into this situation where it's like okay, we're going to do this, but maybe Jeremy Renner is going to take over because Tom Cruise yeah. is getting kind of old. It's a very strange strange sort of entry point in this film like this movie should not have worked like to me ghost protocol on paper is like the nadir like this is the death knell of this series like there's no way this is going to work and even going into it like i don't think i'd read any reviews the morning that i went to go see this at the imax and i was just like there's there's no way this works right like i'm i'm, I'm about to go experience the end of the mission impossible franchise and i walked out of it and was like that's the best film in the mission impossible franchise <laughs> that might be one of the greatest action films i've ever seen in my life the way this movie is written as well and this is uh, Josh Applebaum and Andre Nemec, a couple other bad robot guys, right? Yeah, but but I think Macquarie, you know, uncredited 
has yeah. a lot to do with why this thing works. I just love how this movie starts. You have you have a, a short scene with Josh Holloway, yes, uh, in Budapest, and then you go to the the Russian prison, and then we go back to that Budapest scene, which is just kind of a cool little narrative structure to to see how that all goes out. Because you are felt a little, you know, there's little blue balls watching that first scene in the beginning. <laughs> you're just like, there's it's got to be more to that than this, right? <laughs> and, and, and you know, being a big lost guy, is like, give me all the Sawyer you got. <laughs> Plus, it has maybe one of the greatest Mission Impossible gadgets in the entire series, like the backpack. Um, oh, the, yeah. <laughs> the, thing that, the, the thing that inflates that breaks his fall. Oh, my yeah. God, it's the fucking best. Hard-ass, cold Lacey-do, just capping him oh, in yeah, the street. Yeah, Lacey-do. But then they go into all the stuff in the Russian jail, and it has this wonderful reveal because they hold off on showing his face, right? Mm-hmm. And he's got that long, luscious Mission Impossible 2 hair this time around. And just, I love the throwing the rock against the wall. Yeah. Like, that feels like an animated, I mean, it just feels like a Brad Bird thing. I don't know. It's, it's such a weird decision to make and make it look realistic, but it's, I don't know, it's cool. I mean, I've heard people complain about the fact that this movie doesn't have, like, it's a competent action film, but it doesn't have much personality, like that Brad Bird didn't inject enough of himself into it. Mm. And I, I don't know. I don't know if I necessarily agree with that. Like, I think the movie actually does have a lot of personality. Like, it is in the Macquarie camp in terms of being very just, like, clean and competent and not super stylized, for sure. Yeah. But you watch, I mean, you watch The Incredibles and watch this and be like, oh, that's that's a guy who just loves the mechanics of an action set piece. Yeah, I think there's a ton of personality, especially in the in the Dubai stuff and in the setup yeah. to the Dubai stuff. Yeah, and I, I think it all, all works really well, and, you know, I don't mind Jeremy Renner's entry. I mean, knowing they had considered, you know, turning over the franchise to Jeremy Renner and this being that entry point it, it does feel like they're aware of that and are doing a little extra work with his character to make that possible some some of his stuff in retrospect does seem a little I don't know, superfluous did you do you yeah. feel that way yeah uh, 100% I mean I, I kind of feel like this series has kind of done dirty by Jeremy Renner <laughs> I actually actually kind of feel bad about Jeremy Renner I, I think he's a very good actor I think he's super competent um, but I don't think he's a leading man um, no. I think the Bourne series has taught us that yeah and and even something like uh, The Town which I think he's wonderful in I think that is exactly what Renner should be doing mm-hmm. you know he should be those like strong supporting roles like I, I think he's really great in the Avengers movies but I think it is kind of funny that like the last Avengers completely left him out uh, <laughs> that this new Mission Impossible movie completely leaves him out like I just sort of feel sorry for the guy a little bit I mean I'm sure he's doing perfectly fine yeah he's doing fine you know like I'm sure his life is totally fine I'm sure he has a wonderful marriage and I'm sure he's got a lot of money in the bank but it is weird that this series was basically ramping up to pass the torch to him and then at the last minute decided mm, nope Cruz got more gas in that tank yeah and it's like not, it's not like Jerry Renner's a young man either he's not that much no he's got to be mid 40s right yeah, yeah late 40s I'd rather see a uh, prequel series with Josh Holloway okay <laughs> uh, Jerry Renner's 47 so yeah yeah, let's see a prequel spinoff with uh, Josh Holloway and Paula Patton. I'd watch yeah, that movie. Yeah, fuck yeah. Let's do it. Just a and, then, uh, and then Jonathan Reismeyers and uh, Maggie Q show up. Yeah. This movie also has what I consider the greatest credit sequence in the series. Okay. Um, and the credit sequences throughout this thing have been so just delightful because they're basically trailers for the movie, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So with the exception of, I guess, two and three don't do it, but one, four, five, and now six have all done this where they basically are just like, look at all... All this crazy shit that's going to happen in this movie. Like, how excited are you that you get to sit here and watch?
and watch this movie right now. Isn't this awesome? Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. I feel like it's just it's just the movie really, really peddling its wares, and it just it, I find it to be so delightful. Mm-hmm. Like it's Brad Bird saying, like, look, this is gonna happen, and I'm gonna hang Tom Cruise off this building, and then we're gonna like fucking go to M- Mumbai eventually, and there's gonna be all these women dancing over here, and then we're gonna like be in this parking structure. Like, isn't this awesome? Yeah. How great is it? We get to watch this movie right now. I feel like this is the movie where they really just embrace the idea that the narrative is going to be set piece to set piece to set piece and we'll fit in some story around it and yeah. we don't have to make the story all that complex or, or deep we're just you know we're going to embrace the fact that this is about amazing action scenes and we're going to have no shame about that at all because yeah this movie onward it's just breakneck pace um with with no stopping and it just gets bigger and bigger and if I had a, crit- a criticism about it, it would be, again, that it peaks too early. Yeah. I mean, the greatest, it's not only the greatest scene in the film, it's probably the greatest set piece in the series, right? The Burj Khalifa climb. <laughs> the, movie, the movie can never reach that again. And honestly, like, as much as I've loved Rogue Nation and Fallout, I, I think that is the, to me, that is the peak of the series, just from a purely, like, visceral entertainment standpoint. Yeah, I, I agree. And, you know, we'll, we'll get to Fallout in a sec, but in that same Christopher McQuarrie interview, he said going into this, in, into Fallout, like, that's something they wanted to remedy. That's something he was, you know, they were well aware of, obviously, is peaking too early and, and having this third act problem where, you know, no matter how good a scene, you know, is in a vacuum, it's just not as not as satisfying as, as, as what you're doing in the second act. I know exactly what you're talking about. I've heard him mention this multiple times. I mean, he's obviously done a lot of interviews over the last week. And, uh, and yeah, that was, that was important for him like this series has always had third act problems Mm -hmm. so uh, that was something he wanted to to remedy and Spoilers. I think he completely did in this new I one. I mean, there, there's fun stuff in, in Mumbai, and, you know, I, I love Anil Kapoor as, as much as the next guy. <laughs> yes. Of course. He's, he's one of your favorites. The uh, the uh, Indian Regis, right? Yes. That's what you called him when we talked about <laughs> Slumdog Millionaire many years ago. Yeah, of course. Yeah, he's wonderful. Paula Patton really gets to mix it up, and the shit in the in the parking structure is is really fun. Yeah. Like, it's super silly, but it's really fun. Yeah, and, you know, just really physically punishing tom cruise uh, <laughs> which is which is which is enjoyable and then that would continue the, the next few moves i almost feel like the movie is we were talking about the whole jeremy renner thing how he was going to take over or whatever like how the the torch is being passed this movie is really i feel defined by the fact that it's tom cruise basically arguing for his job like yeah. it's tom cruise saying i am not done yet look what i'm willing to do yeah like, yeah I'm still here and just climbing up the side of the Burj Khalifa or all the shit he does in the parking structure at the end. It's him saying, I'm, I'm still here, man. I'm still alive. Mm-hmm. I, I still can do this shit. So uh, this is my franchise basically arguing for his job, Yeah, which I love. Yeah. What do you think of Michael Nyquist? It's a weak. He's a weak villain, yeah. right? Like we can all agree that's probably the worst villain in the series. Uh, I mean, better than the guy in number two, right? Doug Ray Scott. I don't know. I, I think Doug Ray Scott is actually kind of fun. I mean, <laughs> it's dumb. I mean, it's a dumb movie and it's a dumb villain, but he's like really, really <laughs> digging into it. Like he's chewing the. He's clearly like having a lot of fun. Yeah. And good for him because he basically kept that role. He basically turned down the opportunity to be uh, Wolverine mm-hmm. to do that role. So. Nobody's talking about Doug Ray Scott these days, whereas Hugh Jackman is one of the biggest movie stars in the world and an Oscar nominee. So. Yeah. Leia Seydoux is the best bad guy in this movie, for sure. Yeah, Michael Nekvist, it's a, he's a dumb villain. He's just an underwritten villain. And even McQuarrie has um, has copped to that, that he feels like he could have he could have uh, been more helpful. Mm-hmm. And especially when he's bookended by basically the two villains in the series, right? Phyllis Seymour Hoffman in the third one is amazing. And then Sean Harris 
mm. who shows up in Rogue Nation and has come back in Fallout. He's my favorite one. I just I adore that guy. He is so delightfully evil. He's yeah. my favorite. I saw Rogue Nation a number of times in the theater. To me, it was the highlight of the franchise, and I still think it is the best movie in the franchise. Spoiler alert. Yeah, you, th- you think it's the best You think it's the best film in the series? I mean, and this movie, it's crazy just how wall-to-wall action this movie is. It just never fucking stops. Just, I feel like the action filmmaking here is is at its best, and there's even some good, good team shit that happens as well. And like you said, Sean Harris is fucking fantastic. I think it is the most, of all the films in the series, it is the one that is most like the first Mission Impossible. Oh, yeah? Like, I think there's a lot of callbacks, and I think I, I think it is, in terms of like how twisty it is, mm-hmm. especially, it is, it is the most, you know, an SP espionage thriller mm-hmm. more so than the the action films that were uh, two three and four the, the the last 30 minutes of this movie as much as i love them are really really talky right yeah like there's a ton i mean all the stuff with the prime minister you know with baldwin and tom hollander and Cruz, all of the prime minister stuff and renner and then when uh, when they put the uh, the vest the bomb vest on benji and they're having the extended argument oh basically over the phone um it's surprisingly talky it's not super it's not that like action heavy right and even like the quote-unquote climax of the movie when they're chasing down all these guys and rebecca ferguson you know shanks the, <laughs> the bone the bone doctor yeah, yeah. Uh, and then they end up with Sean Harris in the box. It's not. It's not very bombastic. It's pretty. It's pretty like modest, right? Yeah, and like I do enjoy some of that espionage shit a little more. And and this is my biggest problem. Maybe we can just talk about these two movies uh, together. My biggest problem with Fallout is that it sort of lacks any of the the heisting and the and the, and the espionage stuff and the the smaller sort of gadgety shit that that i really do enjoy from this franchise and it feels way more like just a big action movie than anything mission impossible whereas this movie i feel like marries those two ideas i I feel like the recipe in in this movie is is exactly what i want from mission impossible film and I, i think the opera scene might be my favorite scene in all of these films i don't it's it's amazing it the all the turn turn dough turn dot stuff Mm -hmm. is so wonderful like rebecca ferguson and her incredible gown yeah uh it's it's the best it's It's like like that's the moment when i was like all right i i I was skeptical about mccrory before that scene Mm -hmm. i'm just like okay uh i mean i know this guy wrote one of the greatest scripts of all time but like what has he done for me lately i hadn't seen jack reacher at that point uh i didn't think way the gun was that impressive and like i don't think seeing jack reacher would have (laughs) got you more excited either so yeah i was just i was super skeptical just like but then again i also have been proven you know tom cruise had proven over and over and over that he knows what's best for the series and then when he makes a decision about who's going to direct the next one all john woo aside it's been proven that he uh, he has good taste right yeah so yeah that scene comes along and i was just like all right i'm in mm-hmm. i get it i get the mccory thing this is wonderful this is so fucking elegant and exciting and fun and uh, and the movie is just like on an upwards trajectory from there and i think it has the best sort of like triptych action set piece progression of the entire series like the the underwater taurus thing mm-hmm. into the car chase into the best motorcycle chase in the entire series yeah 100 like, percent agree the motorcycle chase is so fucking amazing <laughs> Cruz in that incredible red fish scaled shirt that he's wearing and <laughs> sunglasses and like it puts the it puts the motorcycle bullshit in mission possible 2 to absolute shame right yeah yeah it is so much better mm-hmm. and it's so physical you know like it doesn't feel cg assisted i'm sure it probably is 
but it they do a good job of concealing it. Like it feels like the moment when he he turns so tightly on that hairpin thing and his knee actually touches the ground. Mm-hmm. Just like, yeah, that, that, that's it. That's all I need. Like that is, that's like the defining moment for the series for me. It's like <laughs> Tom Cruise is so committed to this that his knee literally just like scraped the ground while he was taking that turn. Yeah. And I think when we reviewed this movie three years ago, I think we talked about that scene for probably like 45 minutes. Yes. And we both put it on our top 10 films of 2015. Yeah. Yeah. Which is saying a lot. Deserved. That brings us to uh, Fallout which is the sixth film in the series, Macquarie's second movie, like we said, the shortest gap between films. And um, I think there was a lot riding on this, right? Like I, like I said at the beginning of this conversation, that I feel like people's respect for what for Tom Cruise's commitment to these films has started to kind of over you know compensate for how much people seem to dislike the guy personally it's interesting i mean sometimes i feel like there's a little lag in appreciation for these franchises i think we saw it with with fast and furious sure and people people were giving fast six a lot of credit for for fast five's success in a way because they had finally like gotten on board right yeah and i feel like that is happening as well here not to say that this movie doesn't deserve like the 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 reviews it's it's received and but this has been the best reviewed of all the mission impossibles is is uh, i'm pretty sure yeah something like 98 percent or something on rotten tomatoes which i mean i agree with this movie's fucking awesome (laughs) Um, (laughs) I do think it's I don't think it's the best of of the six but um, it is pretty goddamn awesome and it's it's sort of the logical conclusion narratively for for where they've gone everything that was lacking you know in their minds like Chris McQuarrie said like the third act shortcomings uh, that is not the case here at all they they, they waited for their big one at the end McQuarrie's basically like oh this series has third act problems okay hold my beer (laughs) yeah right (laughs) exactly and you know this goes back to something we were talking about at the beginning of the podcast which is I just wonder how much assistance they have for, for these action scenes or like how much he's how how heavily involved he is and like especially the technical aspects I, have you ever seen any of the scripts for these movies no not no no never read any of the scripts just thinking about it sort of mapping out the the narrative of this movie if if the action scenes in the script are like motorcycle chase or really a car chase in Paris right this script could be like 40 pages like there are so few like scenes in this movie you basically have the intro with Wolf Blitzer which is fun <laughs> Yes. You have the Paris set piece, then like the underground Paris, then more Paris set piece, and then you have the third act. And that's it. Yeah, I mean, three quarters of this movie takes place in Paris. Yeah. Honestly, like, is this the shortest timeline of a Mission Impossible movie? Like, this movie feels like it takes place over the course of, like, 72 hours. Yeah, I mean, it's, right? yeah, it, it, it doesn't stop, and it, the, the urgency is always there. I, I do think, just to, to pick nits, uh, the opening scene where he gets his mission is sort of as vague and not clear and a little just, there seems to be too much exposition for what is actually the mission here at the beginning. Like it, it, there seemed to be a lot of mumbo jumbo in that, and then it was sort of vague what he's supposed to do. Yeah, definitely front loads the exposition for sure. Mm-hmm. Like that, the opening scene is just him receiving the mission via that recording, right? And I feel like it's the longest mission yes. he's received in any of these movies. One hundred percent. And then they go do the Berlin thing where he saved, you know, where he saves Ving Rhames. You know, he shoots Ving Rhames in the chest to save his life or whatever, and they lose the plutonium. And then they go into the Wolf Blitzer thing. Like this is far and away the longest prologue. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. Like it is. I, I, I got to the, it. Got to the point where I was just like, "Oh, are we just not going to have a title sequence? Like, is this going to be the first one that just doesn't have a title sequence? Because yeah. like we are really getting into the meat of this movie." Mm-hmm. By the 
time they got when they got to that uh, hospital room and they were having that conversation and they're doing the good cop bad cop thing with the nuclear scientist guy, it all started to crystallize for me. I was like, oh, I see what they're doing. <laughs> they're, this is a callback to the very first scene of the very first film. Yeah, yeah right. Yeah. It is literally like a recreation of that where they, you know, they're they're on a soundstage somewhere. Once I realized what they were up to and what they were doing, and that Wolf Blitzer, by the time Wolf Blitzer takes the mask off, I was just like, I'm fucking in, man. Yeah. <laughs> like I'm 100 in. I love you guys so much. Like I and I from that point on. I had the biggest, stupidest grin on my face for the next two and a half hours. (laughs) And I don't know if I've been as giddy in a movie. I can't remember the last time I was as giddy through an entire film as I was in Mission Impossible Fallout. Without getting too hyperbolic about it, like this movie kind of like reminded me why I love movies in the first place. (laughs) Like I watched the whole thing. I was just like, yep. Like we we talk about, you know, shitty Deadpool or even Infinity War. Like we we talk about a lot of things that kind of depress me and that get me down and be like, maybe I should do something else with my life. And then, um, and then you see something like Mission Impossible Fall, and you're just like, no, <laughs> this is this is it. This is my first love right here. And movies like this remind me why I love this medium so much. It's so much fun. It's it's just the most spectacular. Like it's it's exactly what we needed at this point in the summer. I feel. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and just just in the world right now, right? <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. We needed something fun, and uh, this movie is fun with a capital F. And I don't think there's any as much as I love all six of these movies. There isn't a single one that I would call, you know, like perfect or, you know, without flaw. And this movie definitely has flaws. Having only seen it once now, and I'm probably going to go out and see it again this afternoon, to me it is it is number one with a bullet. Okay. I agree with you that it is not, it doesn't really follow the formula the way I had expected it to. Like there aren't a lot of quote unquote heists in this movie, right? None. It really, is kind of right? just big action sequence, action sequence, action sequence. There's a lot of punching. There's a lot of motorcycle riding. There's a lot of gunfire. So, yeah, there isn't really like that centerpiece heist sequence a la Langley or the Burj Khalifa or the Taurus in uh, in Rogue Nation, which really surprised me. And yet, for some reason, everything still worked. Like, I, I never was feeling the lack. Yeah, I mean, I, I felt the lack just in retrospect after the movie because, you know, while you're in it, it's just so propulsive and, and enjoyable but looking back it's like oh I, I i wish we could have had at least something like that but it, it doesn't matter because it's so fucking fun henry cavill very physical obviously this guy's superman <laughs> you know that berlin club paris oh, the, paris the club in yeah, paris, club in paris. Yeah, yeah. Oh, sorry. yeah that bathroom sequence is is holy <laughs> shit like that's the most physical these movies have been i think so and uh i don't know who that guy who's playing uh john lark or whatever was but uh yeah. obviously a uh some sort of fight of some kind but god damn that was uh yeah so much fun from there on out it's just non-stop well and leading into that is that insane halo jump right oh yeah, yeah which I, is, I mean that with like thinking back to this movie i just like i can't even decide what the high point is because there's so many yeah, like yeah. there's just so like i just sat there with my mouth agape the entire time like i mean i knew that was coming i already you know i basically do enough research and watch enough trailers that i kind of know what's coming but nothing can really prepare you for how overwhelming that that sequence is yeah. you know just like the the single shot and obviously a lot of it is cg i mean they actually did 
the jump, the jump is real, mm-hmm. and Cruz actually did the jump, and there's a guy with a camera uh, strapped to his helmet throughout that entire thing. And they did it over the Saudi Arabian desert. They didn't do it over Paris. So a lot of stuff is obviously added to it. But there's just something about being able to watch this all in one. Have you ever skydived before? you ever jumped out of a plane before? I have. It's surprisingly short, right? It's surprisingly short. That's what I was struck by when I jumped out of a plane. I was just like, wow, that was quick. That, that was over very, very fast. And that's how the sequence kind of struck me. It was just like, oh, this is really playing on the idea that this jump is going to be done very, very quickly. And we only have X amount of time to be able to revive Henry Cavill. Ironically, if he would have just let Henry Cavill like bounce off the pavement yeah the movie would that would be the end of the movie right yeah exactly <laughs> just kill our villain right here and that's that's the end of that it is truly spectacular it's incredible when henry cavill gets like struck by lightning and stuff <laughs> it's just it's i mean the series just continues to show us things that we've never seen before yeah like i've never seen a, i've never seen a skydive sequence like that before and i love the fact that it occurs so early in the movie mm-hmm. it's like in rogue nation the big stunt that we'd all been sort of like prepped for where Tom Cruise is hanging off the side of a, of an airplane happens in the prologue happens in the pre-credit sequence and that's it they'll show you more spectacular things in the openings of this film than you will see in the climax of most movies yeah and, and then you know we have seen car chases through cities before but this one's as good as any you'll you'll find it's a lot of fun it's pretty fucking long too yeah <laughs> like really really long and you're uh, talking about the motorcycle stuff through paris yes. like around the arc de triomphe and stuff yeah i like just seeing in the trailer that he was going to be on a motorcycle i was like okay we're going back onto a motorcycle like we've already done motorcycles a couple times in this series why are we going back onto a motorcycle and then and I just watched the scene. And I was like, okay, <laughs> I get it. <laughs> that's why we. That's why we do motorcycle scenes because nobody is more badass on a motorcycle than Tom Cruise. Mm-hmm. And you're right; it goes on forever. And yet, I was like, literally, like top to bottom goosebumps the entire time. And you know, we don't get much time to breathe afterwards. No, because then there's an insane foot chase. Yeah, before that, we have the the, the underground little yes, fight yes, scene yes. where we get, you know, yes. we we realize Henry Cavill's the bad guy. Um, Alec Baldwin throws a couple of weak ass punches. <laughs> yes, he does. <laughs> Which is- I mean, the, I remember thinking to myself, like, okay, Alec Baldwin can't stand up to Henry Cow, and then immediately as I thought that, he kills it. So I was just like, okay, good. Because <laughs> yeah. like, I didn't want to see Alec Baldwin go, but I was just like, okay, there's no way he is. Uh, he's an adversary for. Henry Cavill, like, yep, he's dead. Yeah, and, and that scene has probably the the most Mission Impossibly heisty. Yes, swap them. Did you even for a moment ever consider the fact that Henry Cavill wasn't the villain? Like, I'm I'm very conflicted about whether this movie is trying to is trying to keep the fact that Henry Cavill is the villain a secret. I don't think it's a twist. I think just the degree to which he is a villain. Obviously, they set him up as someone who's trying to undermine IMF and undermine Tom yeah. Cruise. No, I mean, no, you you assume he's the villain from the get-go right which is which is i i don't know i i guess that reversal was more shocking i guess it'd be better narratively but maybe there's something to it just hiding in plain sight it's fine it works out again it's not really the point of this movie this movie is just the freaking action scenes which is which is fine well plus you also have basically the best villain in the series kind of on the periphery throughout this whole thing yeah how wonderful is it that the the main quote-unquote heist at the center of this film is is him having to break 
out his greatest adversary, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, that's he spent the fun. entire, he spent all of Rogue Nation capturing Solomon Lane, and now he's got to break Solomon Lane out. I just thought that was such a wonderful little, like, reversal. Yeah, I loved, I loved the, uh, the drone stuff where they get underground and have to quickly get it out of his neck or whatever, and yes. send it away. that's pretty fun. And I just think he's, I just think Sean Harris is so delightful. Like, he, he doesn't make that many movies. Like, if you look at his IMDb page, he's not super busy, and I don't know if that's because he's so, like, strange and esoteric and weaselly, mm-hmm. or if that's a, a decision on his part. I always like every time he shows up on screen i just get excited i just think he's wonderful yeah he's just such a strange he's just such a strange interesting screen presence and he'll always be ian curtis from uh 24 hour party people to me (laughs) and he's got that weaselly raspy voice which i just think is the great the trailer makes good use of it everything he says is just unsettling the whole time yes very much so (laughs) all right well i guess that leads us to to cashmere which i think unequivocally the best third act of of any mission impossible movie yeah because you have both things you have like the diffusing the bomb on the ground and and working to do that and even the fight scenes in that in that little house are fun but obviously the the big attraction here is the insane helicopter chase yeah if i had a quibble with this third act it would be the fact that you have basically three different action scenes happening simultaneously and the way that they need to cut between them just by necessity is maybe a little bit diffusing pardon the pun <laughs> i mean you're so invested in what's going on in the helicopter when they cut away to ving rams and michelle monaghan defusing the bomb i do find myself being like okay i mean i know this is happening i know this is important i know we need to see what's going on here but i just want to get back to that helicopter right <laughs> so especially did you see it in imax no did i didn't you go see that no. okay i saw cinerama might as well the, the entire helicopter sequence is in imax okay. they shot it in imax so when you see that aspect ratio change when they cut between those sequences it is a little bit jarring i mean I obviously it happened a lot in Christopher Nolan's Dark Knight films. Mm-hmm. You just you just want to be in that helicopter. You just want to see all that play out. And as much fun as it is to see Rebecca Ferguson kicking ass, I just don't think that it, it, it can't compete with the crazy helicopter stuff right no not at all one of the best one of the best action sequences in this series for sure and the fact that and tom cruise is actually flying that helicopter like he learned he like got <laughs> licensed to fly a helicopter just to shoot that scene which is which is insane i mean it's exhilarating the whole time and they stick the landing i mean the helicopters yeah. don't stick the landing but they <laughs> they stick the landing with just just how the how they wrap up that sequence too and it's it's so physical and so brutal yeah i, I mean there's nothing you can say about it's just the best best ending of any mission movie ever and uh yeah it's just and cat i mean the, the setting is so beautiful too and so and so well, odd like we i feel like that's a place in the world i haven't really seen seen much from and you know great choice obviously that little valley is really cool well what's interesting about that is that it's set in cashmere but the stuff on the ground is shot in norway that makes sense and the stuff on in the air is shot in new zealand mm-hmm. so it's basically it's it's shot in two different places apart from where it's set norway would not allow somebody with as little helicopter experience <laughs> as Tom Cruise to fly in their airspace. So they had to go shoot it in New Zealand. The Kiwis are like, I don't give a shit. Yeah. They'd be like, yeah, whatever. Come on over. Yeah. <laughs> Ving Rams looks very unhealthy in this movie. It was interesting watching because he's the only other one who's in all six of these films. Mm-hmm. Besides Cruise, he's the only one who shows up in every single film. So it was funny to watch the first one the other day where he's literally still rocking the soul patch from 
Pulp Fiction. He's only like two years older than Tom Cruise. How do you feel about uh, the the progression of Rebecca Ferguson's character in this? Do you think that we're setting up kind of a uh, a romantic thing here? Is that a good idea? Is that a bad idea? Like it seems at the end that she really is like Ving Rhames even says at one point he's loved two women in his life. Right? Um, maybe. I mean, mm. I, I, I could see that happening in the next movie if there's a next movie. I assume there will be. Have they announced anything by the way? No, they haven't. And just selfishly, don't you kind of wish that this was the last one? No, I no, when you, when you, I, I want more. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> right. What the hell? I just, I just, it's so perfect. Like it's such a perfect group of six films, and each one has just made me so happy for various reasons. Part of me is just like, oh, let's not screw this up. This is great. Like let's just end it right here. I mean, yeah, I know that's that's wishful thinking, but there, this movie has a very clean denouement, right? Yeah, like, this movie ends very cleanly. It ends with Tom Cruise smiling that million dollar smile, and to me, I can't imagine a better way to end this series. I think the series has also they've never had a great final scene. Yeah, the first one ends on the plane, and she you know says that his next mission is going to be in Aruba or whatever, which they never pay off. Yeah, the second one ends with them in Australia walking through the park, and it just pans up, and it's just like a tourist shot of. Uh, of Sydney of the Sydney Opera House which is dumb the third one is really bad where uh, they're in the they're at the IMF headquarters and Ving Rhames basically just like throws his fingers up in the air (laughs) when they're celebrating you know like they're going on their honeymoon or whatever yeah uh, the fourth one's okay, where he's walking through the fog in his hoodie and he disappears. That one's kind of fun. But and it's fucking. It's, one, it's supposed to be Seattle. And it's not. That pisses me off every time. Yeah, I don't know why. It's so weird. It's shot in Vancouver, clearly, but it's set in Seattle. <laughs> yeah. And yet the bomb crashed into San Francisco. Why are they? Why are they just not in San Francisco? I don't know. Bing Rames even says at one point, like I spent. I spent a weekend on the bottom of the San Francisco Bay, thanks to you clowns. Why is it in Seattle? Anyway, um, and then the fifth one is uh, Renner and Alec Baldwin just walking through the CIA, and he's like, welcome to the IMF. So it's fine. Mm-hmm. But uh, but I think this is the best one. Yeah. I think the idea of Tom Cruise, you know, in his hospital bed laughing and giving us that amazing Cruise smile, this is this is how I would like the series to end. All right. I know it won't, but to me, this is a very I mean, you have to think, it's, it'd be crazy if he just gets into his 60s and is still doing these movies, but... Who knows? Well, how far can you go? I mean, like... I mean, Chris McQuarrie talked about, about this. talking about jumping like, out of a plane. Yeah, he talked about this. Like, uh, he was reticent to even do another one because he's like, I don't know how to how to top my... <laughs> like, I don't know where to go. Yeah. And so that is, a, that is a real concern, especially now. I mean, I think this is how Cruz wants to die, right? Like, this is how he wants to go out. He's going to die doing what he loves. He will wait until the last scene. Like, it'll be... They'll be about to wrap. It'll be the final scene of Mission Impossible 7 when he finally, like, falls off a cliff or something. Yeah. So they'll get the movie in the can first, but I think this is how he's going to go out. You want to rank these real quick, Matt? Six, five, four, three, one, two. Fallout, Rogue Nation, Ghost Protocol, three, one, two. I have the same thing except flip the first two. Five, six, okay. four, three, one, two. Rogue Nation is my favorite still. So, yeah. That really warms my heart. Rogue Nation has really, like, uh, over the course of the last three days, I think Rogue Nation has really risen in esteem for me. Like, up until watching it again on Saturday, on Sunday morning, Ghost Protocol was my favorite. But after that viewing, I was like, no, Rogue Nation's the best. Mm -hmm. This is McCory's franchise now. And then we obviously went and saw Fallout. And, you know, I might just be riding high on the uh, this incredible 
like honeymoon period I'm in with this movie. Yeah. But I do just think it is just like overwhelmingly so balls out. Yeah. <laughs> like I just think it is there's so much going on. But even though I think it is my favorite of the six movies, it's not necessarily the best mission impossible movie, I will concede. Mm-hmm. Like I do think that the best missions are in Rogue Nation. Yeah. Like that triptych that I was talking about earlier, the Taurus to the car chase to the motorcycle chase, I think is the best like sustained action set piece yeah you know sequence in this series that in addition to the opera house is kind of why it's number one for me um, the opera house is amazing and then when they put lane when they put solomon lane in the box at the end yeah yeah god damn i just i get goosebumps every time like it is such a satisfying ending because it's not you know it's not an action scene it's just yeah they're just they're just they caught the bad guy yeah. they're sealing him up and he's in a box <laughs> and that's it and it just like the satisfied look on Cruz's face and when when uh, simon Pegg pulls the lever and lets the gas in and that joe kramer score just ramps up oh it's the best I, it's the best i agree that's why i put it number one <laughs> that's why you think it's the best all right maybe i'll have to reconsider uh this has been fun we'll we'll talk again in uh three four years when uh 60 year old tom cruise makes number seven all right until next time this has been we like movies say goodbye matt goodbye matt